When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to Season 3, Episode 8 of So Strange. I'm your host, Andy Myers, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Orion. Orion is a co-founder of Illuminating Hearts. He's a filmmaker with Tiny Space Productions. He's an organic sound farmer, sound healer, field recording wizard, biomusicologist, pragmatic mystic, and a freaking Jedi. <laughs> Orion, thanks for being on the show, man. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. You know, and, and kind of like always, you know, coming on, we we don't really know what we're going to talk about. We're going to let the universe guide us, and we're going to see where this conversation goes, right? As our day has begun, yes. We've kind of <laughs> morphed into that. One thing has led to another, and now I'm sitting across from you, which is exactly where I wanted to be. You know, it's kind of funny because we tried to record this earlier this morning uh, remotely, and we were just having some audio and digital issues and uh, kind of thought, well, you know, maybe some point down the road we can just get together and record in person. And we come to find out we both had nothing going on for the rest of the afternoon. So we're like, we're making this happen today. <laughs> so here we are at my facility, at the Dreamweavers facility. And uh, yeah, so... You know, I recently had the pleasure of being in the booth right next to you and your partner at the Holistic Expo here in Omaha, and I had previously met you at the uh, premiere screening of We Are Not Alone, because uh, as I said in the introduction, you're, you're a filmmaker. You put together this wonderful extraterrestrial-based film uh, starring Christy Peterson, and 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 then when I found out I was going to be your your uh, booth buddy at the expo, I was like, hot dog! I, this guy's going to be my friend. You know? <laughs> yeah, man, totally bananas. And I was just starting to talk to you before we got started, and, and I didn't want to you know let all the juicy stuff get out before we started to make a connection because I know we're just going to go on and on. So, um, but when I first saw your face, it was on one of the Facebook feeds of possible people you should know because there's just like a whole stream of photos that come up. And I saw your face and I thought, I think I know that guy. But not only that, I think I'm going to know that guy. And so then I saw you at the premiere that night sitting in the back there and you introduced yourself. And I'm like, there he is. <laughs> and Christy says that at one point during the movie of We Are Not Alone. And we're going to talk about that today. But um, she was looking for a guide to help her understand and capacitate and integrate some of her experiences. And she met her friend, um, Co-Lever, who was a, a, a hypnotherapist, and Christy says, that's her. Like, she, rec she recognized her. So I had that feeling when I saw you. I was like, that's him. That's the guy that I'm going to talk to. So here we be. Well, and it, it does make you wonder when you come across these people, uh, and it can't be coincidence. It's, it's almost like fate or destiny, but you'll bump into somebody and you're like, hey, old friend, like, I, I know you, but I don't know you. And it, you know, I'm, I'm a huge uh, believer in past lives, 100% convinced that we've all had countless past lifetimes. And 
I think when you meet a familiar soul in your soul group, you almost have that aha moment of, hey, like, we had a lot of fun last time. What are we going to do this time around? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you can only imagine, were we swashbuckling pirates? Were we Buddhist monks? Were we, you know, running around the streets of New York City selling newspapers, you know? Yeah. Who knows? Who and, knows? But, you know, even in depth is like brother and sister or uncle and cousin or husband, wife or brother, brother, or sister, sister. Yeah. And Astara, my partner um, with Illuminating Hearts and Astara Raven, uh, if you want to look her up online, um, what she liked to tell me in the early days to explain to me about soul family is that we've always known about our family tree, right? But somewhere along the line, somebody forgot to tell us about the family branch <laughs> and the leaves and how that cuts off and turns and makes a right-hand turn. Like you and I, now that we're sitting together, are both part of that soul family. And we knew that we were, have known each other before because there's just ease in the conversation. It's not difficult at all. So as we meet people, and I think I heard Abraham Hicks, she's um, one person I'd like to listen to, um, talk about every time you make eye contact with someone mm -hmm. and connect that way, that is part of your soul family. You've had some type of lifetime experience with that person before. Right. Yeah, you have. And, and it's almost like a snowball rolling downhill, gaining momentum because, you, you know, you meet one person and then you meet another and you slowly collect these friends as you go through life. And and some people I've noticed when they hit a certain point in their life, when they go through that spiritual resurgence or kind of a, a spiritual, uh, when they begin that journey, sometimes they purge their old group of friends, you know, uh, and it can start with anything, a, a realization, a revelation, a near-death experience, but whatever the catalyst is for a person to take their life in a different direction, sometimes they let go of old friends who they you know, who they might find they, they don't really have much in common with other than a shared history, you know, in high school or college or whatnot. But yeah, it's, it's really fun. And, you know, when I, when I first met you at that uh, screening of Christy Peterson's film, she, she offered to introduce me to the guy who made the film. And as a, you know, as a person who's, you know, for the past 20 years been passionate about editing video and I create these videos for my daughter to document her life, like meeting you is like a rock star. I'm like, I get to meet the actual guy who made the film. And then you, you offered to, you know, have coffee with me sometime and let me pick your brain about it. But I am curious, like, what was that process like to, to create a film of, of that caliber, a documentary like that, that was so important, not just for Christy, but for other people to also see? Yeah. So I think the most important thing to know about that process is it was totally unplanned and it would just float. It was the flow state because initially when I met Christy, I met her at uh, another mystic fest of a sorts um, and Astara introduced me to her because Astara had met her um, as a psychic medium and said, hey, there's a woman you should meet because um, I think you might have some things in common with her. And Christy is another one of those people that are on my soul family tree. She is yeah. on the whole freaking tree with me because yeah. we just were able to connect really easily um, and communicate ideas and emotions pretty pretty quickly without much much hesitation. So uh, I got to know Christy. I read her book, We Are Not Alone, My Extraterrestrial Contact. And in the reading of the book, I was having flashes, memories come back, visualizations. My body was buzzing with familiarity in some of these instances. And I thought, I need to record this as an audiobook. 
and I've never recorded an audiobook before, but I had all the tools to do so because I was acquiring tools so I can document the illuminating hearts process, how we play our gongs, and as we travel across the United States, and you know, all the fun things. I thought, you know, I want to be a filmmaker someday, maybe. But I hadn't really planned on it. I didn't think it was within my scope of uh, capabilities at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I recorded Christie's book, and as we're recording the book, I'm feeling those same buzzes and zings of familiarity with her story. And I thought, I need to make a film about this. Mm-hmm. And so I reached out to a filmmaker friend of mine named Josh Lemure, um, and he is, he is a local filmmaker. He was working at a coffee shop at the time as a barista, and I said, hey man, um, since you're doing film work, and we've got you working with Illuminating Hearts, we're you know paying to have you come and film us, what if we make a film about Christy Peterson and her experience? And so he was on board. And so the spine of that film, of the, the face-to-face interview, was filmed by Josh, and I did all the sound and light for it. And uh, COVID came along. Mm-hmm. Josh wasn't able to continue with the project, so I took over on all the footage and arranged some new footage to be shot and an interview with Dr. Kasher, who is an integral part of the experience. Um, And that's how we got started. And Astara is my editor. She is an architect by trade, so she sees things in that visual space. Um, She still maintains her California architecture license, and now she's more of a sole architect and a sound architect, and I help in that space. But she helped me, and without her skills and her patience in a final cut, uh, we wouldn't be where we are today. I tried to learn it. I did. I, I, know, I know Logic Pro as a sound. I, you know, I spent my last few years studying Logic Pro, all the ins and outs, and how to make the best sound that I can. And I tried to learn uh, during COVID. I tried to sit down and learn Final Cut, and it's just it's not that difficult, but there's so many options that yeah. it can be overwhelming. Yeah, I almost prefer editing software where they kind of strip away a lot of the bells and whistles and it just kind of gives you the, the dumbed-down version. Right. You know, Because otherwise you're left wondering, like, what, you don't even know where to start. It's a needle in a haystack when you're right. trying to find a certain feature. Yeah, what could have I done? Or did I miss something? Or is there any way to make this better? And then you end up in a place that I learned about when I worked for Best Buy Corporate back in the day is you end up in this analysis paralysis <laughs> where you're just stewing on it and you don't make any movement forward. Right. Well, and this just goes to show that you cannot judge a book by its cover because I'm, I'm just going to say this, and I mean this in a loving way. If I just passed you on the street and didn't know you from anybody else, I would not assume that you were tech savvy. Ah. Just based on your appearance, <laughs> I'm like, this guy probably lives off grid. He's probably a vegan who lives off the land. And, and no, you're, you're tech savvy. I also would not have pegged Astara for, you know, an architect. But yeah. it just it just goes to show that, you know, we're all here to break the mold. You can't you can't base anything off of physical assumptions or appearances, yeah. and you know some people are are a double threat in terms of the talents and and the interests that they have. And speaking of that, I was I was blown away. You blew my hair back when when I found out that you guys actually created the music for that documentary. Because mm. I I was asking like where did you get it from? Is this is this something you you know you downloaded from? Uh, you know, royalty-free music website. You guys created all the music yourself. We did. We did. At first, at first, we uh, there's there's 
There is a lot of Canva in there, um, just because they are the king of B-roll shots. You know, yeah, you need a yeah. picture of uh, somebody pushing a hospital gurney down a hallway, or you need a little background sound for that. They've got it. So we paid for the upgrade pro package. Highly recommend it. They're not paying me to say this, but I, they were great help in making this film because we really put it together during the time of COVID. Yeah. And so. Um, the sound was just recordings. A lot of it was recordings that we did on the spot. Like a star was out in front yard playing with Brown Dog. When I picked up my bass, my upright bass, and thought I need to record some upright bass for this film, and I just set up some microphones and I'm literally watching her play with the dog as I go, brom, brom. <laughs> what do you? I mean, what do the neighbors think? Are they just like cool as hell? Well, yeah, we're in a house. They are cool as hell. We actually had some neighbors come out to the the first night that we screened it, and they said, we can't believe it. We were doing yard work during COVID, and you guys were down in your basement making a movie. <laughs> we were moving rocks around, and you guys were making a movie. Yeah. So uh, they're all very cool about it. We have a, a room set up in our house uh, with six gongs in it and about 10 sound bowls. Uh, that's where we do our sound work out of the house when we're not out in the world setting up our big setup with 12 gongs and didgeridoos and all that fun stuff. But <laughs> yeah, a lot of the recording was um, just done. We just put some microphones underneath the piano and I literally threw a sound blanket over the top of the grand piano and stood right next to the Stara with the upright bass and composed. That's that's incredible, man. Um, it almost takes me back to like Stonehenge, because you know, on the show we talk about world mysteries, we talk about conspiracy theories, you name it, <laughs> spirituality. But uh, you know, going back to like something like Stonehenge, people are still debating: was that it was clearly a sacred spot, but was it a was it a glorified sundial? Was it an acoustic amphitheater of sorts? You know, to to boost a, a, a message or a song up into the heavens and. I don't know if, if they'll ever completely figure that out, but there is uh, some theories with that. Uh, also, speaking of sound, there is a, I don't know if you'd call it a conspiracy theory, but there's a theory of, I believe it is in, uh, oh gosh, maybe Florida or California, <laughs> Op, you know, opposite ends of the coast. <laughs> but somewhere in this big, beautiful country, there was this, this giant uh, park of like rocks and boulders and coral and like overnight, you know, these things, some of them weighing like several thousands of pounds, they were moved without the help of machinery overnight. And nobody ever found out how mm. that was possible. But some people theorized that the that the quote unquote, the crazy guy who owned the place somehow used sound and vibrations within the sound almost to levitate some of these heavy rocks uh, to transport them. And I'm sorry, I don't have any names or dates or specifics, but my grandma told me that in my youth, and it, it always stuck with me as like, wow, like maybe sounds more powerful than people think. Yeah, it, it is. It's a, I love uh, all concepts related to sound. I have uh, was in a rock and roll band through my 20s as a bass player for like eight years down in Lubbock, Texas. And uh, after that experience, playing music with, um, you know, four other guys and feeling lifted off the stage, literally feeling that lift, and knew that I had to continue my life in sound some way or another. And so after many years, I'm finally doing it full-time. Sound is my full-time gig. So I've read a lot of books on acoustics, and I've listened to a lot of theories and concepts. And by the way, any theory is a good theory, and it's always better than a conspiracy. Because <laughs> yeah. I think the government has come up with the word conspiracy. We label things that we're afraid of. Yeah. And it's all theories that have literally changed science over time. 
You know, I'm just I, I love listening to podcasts like Lex Friedman and I love listening to um, uh, Kurt Jemungle and the theory of everything and some physicists. It's smart people talking to other smart people. And right now, academia is actually questioning itself. Mm. And I came up with that phrase, given enough time, even academia gets schooled over time. So everything has changed. And I want to allow all opinions and all thoughts in. And that's kind of the gist of the film. And we'll get to that too. But, you know, back to the idea of sound moving things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have a the my theory is sound is not, is not a wave. A wave is measured in two dimensions. We look at the picture of a sound wave. You can look at it pass above and below the zero line for compressions and rarefactions. And that's a very human way to think of things. But if we look at how water moves, water moves in a spiral. Our blood moves in a spiral as it goes up and down our veins, not just a straight flow. There's spirals everywhere. So I believe sound actually works like everything that happens underneath the waves. You know, because the wave is because of the surface tension and the air right there. But sound is the water movement underneath of there. And sound like water finds cracks and lets itself in. That's a great way to, to think of it. I mean, truly, no one's ever uh, put it in perspective quite like that before. And, I mean, really, you know, speaking of theories, everything sounds crazy until it's not, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, the fact that we live on a beautiful blue and green marble that goes around the sun—you know—it was a crazy notion back in the day until they, <laughs> until it checked out as valid. Um, and you know, things like the the fact that extraterrestrials are real—that they're here, that they're studying us and observing ourselves—I feel like there's two different camps. There's there's the type of person that runs towards. Uh, a mystery and they view it as exciting and new and something to explore and then there's the people who run away from it because they like the status quo and they don't want anything to uproot their current beliefs um i'm the kind of guy i'd like to think i'd run towards the flying saucer if it landed yeah <laughs> but i suppose that's that's why i have a kooky little podcast to talk about all things mysterious um but aside from uh, not only creating this film and and creating the sound for it and editing and and all that labor of love type stuff that that goes into it, what kind of an impact uh, do you think it's going to have on maybe changing people's viewpoint towards the extraterrestrial phenomena? What a hot topic right now! Yeah, um, you know what's the viewpoint? What do you think? How do you feel? And and it's all over the place. And there's a lot of different stories. And like I just spent most of my morning listening to different people talk about their experiences. And they're, you know, they're whistleblowers now. And there's some protection clause for people that have signed NDEs that now can come out and talk about it. I'm taking it all with a grain of salt because. Bottom line is we've known about this for a long time and certain people have known more than others and the secret's being held for reasons that might not be so beneficial to our planet as a whole but for financial reasons and also for fear reasons because uh, like my dad posed to me the other day, he says, well, what does this all, all this UFO stuff do to the story of uh, Jesus and Mary? And I said, you know, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. There's some schools of thought that believe that Jesus was an E.T. Uh, that did come from somewhere else. And technically, you know, according to the Bible, Jesus did come from somewhere else and had all these powers that we didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And the Bible's full of people getting messages from up high, mm -hmm. right? One of my favorite questions is, where did you come from before you came into this planet? Yeah, you know, well, in, in biblical, we're talking about, you know, the, and I'm not an expert at all, you know, 
everyone on here knows I'm more of a spiritual person than a religious one, but the story of Ezekiel's wheel, you know, a dude with no reference point to anything that can fly. There's no spacecraft. There's no helicopters. There's no airplanes in biblical times, but he's describing wheels within wheels that take him on a journey through the, through space and time. And it's like, okay, if that's not a description of a UFO, what is it? Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I just heard of a saint that was, got himself into such an ecstatic state that he could levitate. See, and you know, and all this little tidbits of information coming from here, coming from there. Um, you know, with this film, I, I've always seen this film as an invitation for people to tell their story. My intent was not to prove the reality or truth or what's being hidden. You know, there's some interesting tidbits in there from Dr. Kasher. Um, and there's even more, and, and I eventually plan on releasing his entire uh, unedited interview at his house. And I've gotten his permission to do that because he's ready to tell his whole story, too. Um, you're, of, you're sitting on a gold mine here, I, my friend. I am. And here's the best part <laughs> about it. The movie, we're going to release the movie for free yeah. on Vimeo. And we're going to just get it out there. And then we'll have a paywall with uh, some of this extra content and with the soundtrack and with Christy's actual, her recorded book. You'll have, get all this stuff that will be available. So um, the movie has to go out for free. My guides, Astara and I were watching Sound of Music, and we're watching Sound of Music, and I'm sitting there, and my guides came through clear as a bell. The voice says, you know you have to give this away for free, right? And I was like, really? They said, give it away, give it away, give it away now. And I'm like, oh, you guys are hilarious. (laughs) Of course they would use song to get Uh, the message across. Yeah, it's you know, the funny thing is, is... um, there's always a question about whether the voices that come through your head are good or evil. But man, all the voices that come through my head, they're hilarious. And I know those come through my guides because they have a huge sense of humor. Uh, well, they, they almost have to, given the, the life trajectory you've been on. You kept them on their toes. You're like a real-life Forrest Gump with all the different <laughs> things you've done. You know, ping-pong player, runner, <laughs> boat captain, you know, bass guitar player. You, yeah. You're ex-military, which I, am, I never would have pegged you for that. Yeah, and there was, yeah so I was served from, uh, I went in in November of 1991 at the ripe old age of 19. Uh, the oldest guy in basic training was 25, and we called him Gramps. <laughs> Um, I went in just at the beginning of um, the, uh, they were starting to fire the cruise missiles into Iraq the night before. And so uh, I went in not knowing exactly what was going to happen next, but I knew I had to get on this next stage with my life and get the hell out of Omaha as fast as I could. So um, I did the military until August of 95. And I was in a band, and then I did um, various jobs. I worked as I trained people for PetSmart, I like to say. Um, did that for a chunk of time. I also worked at a place called Advent Medical as a uh, quality assurance, quality control manager for a medical device reprocessing company. And basically, they took the old trash from the hospital, cleaned it up, re-sterilized it, repackaged it, and sold it back to the hospital. Wow. So the hospital ended up paying twice. <laughs> but a lesser amount for the second use because we're actually being sustainable in a way, you know? Um, And, uh, oh man, the job list just goes on and on. Substitute teacher. um, uh, I I was an EMT, EMT basic. I was a volunteer fireman. um, Stay-at-home dad. That was a tough gig. (laughs) Perhaps the hardest of all. Indeed, indeed. You have to be multifaceted, but we can just go on and on. Um, I've had a lot of career um, changes 
And I don't think anything was ever a career because my work on this planet is to try to understand like a polymath where we're trained in various things and we understand things, um, different aspects of things. Like I've seen, I worked for Best Buy Corporate for a chunk of years. Um, and, you know, having worked for two of the biggest corporations in the world, Best Buy Corporate and the Air Force, and finding out that I really couldn't work for either um, was a big deal. So I knew I was never going to find my dream job, that I was going to have to create it. So right now I sit with you, a fellow creator of their dream job, and now we're in this space of sharing, hey, we love what we've made. How can we invite others towards that? Yeah, I mean, and I think this is kind of a growing trend w with with people of all walks of life, all ages. Like, you know, the the potential to be an entrepreneur has never been greater than the present moment. You know, a lot of people are just they're fed up. They want to work for themselves. You know, and you know, I'm I come from a social work background. You know, I've worked in mental health facilities and after school programs and things like that. And I've always thought that one of my main life lessons is to be a helper, you know, mm -hmm. helper, counselor, healer. And I suppose that's part of it. But in recent years, I'm also discovering about myself, I'm a creator. That's, that's, that's when I'm most happy is when I'm creating something, whether it's the writing in, in my upcoming books or this podcast or, you know, creating a, a new video about the, the previous year and all the stuff my daughter did. And, you know, you add the the music to it and, and whatever, however a person chooses to create, I think it, it gets to a point where it's almost a form of meditation. Oh yeah. You know, active meditation, obviously your eyes are open. You're, you're fully conscious of what you're doing, but it, it almost changes a person's frequency or vibration to, to create. And I think humans were born to create. We're innovative. That's, that's how our species has survived for, uh, you know, the last 200,000 years is we innovate, we create, we invent, we tinker. Mm -hmm. And the way in which we tinker is different now than it used to be. We're no, you know, to a lesser extent, we're, you know, crafting things out of wood and stone. And now it's more of a digital creation phase of, of, of our existence. But um, it's it's fun. And, you know, uh, so I'm I'm glad your hilarious uh, guides spoke to you and told you you have to give out this future uh, project away for free. Um, I'm also not surprised you guys were watching The Sound of Music because that's got to be one of the quintessential uh, films for a music for, what do they call them, audiophile? Right, right, uh, yeah. It's like a boxer watching Rocky. Yeah. That's where they get their inspiration, right? Yeah. Well, on this journey, what's really interesting is is once you start looking at things a little differently, and here's the easy invitation, watch your movies and look for messages. Like Guardians of the Galaxy, full of messages, of greater messages and greater tone. Um, the things that you have questions about, you can find the answers, whether it's just opening a random book or looking up while you're driving and looking at a sign. Yep. All the signs are there for you and everything's waiting for you. Things aren't happening to you, they're happening for you. So start looking around in a different way and see things in a different way. Blink. That'll change the picture. Right. Um, what was the hardest part about this creating this documentary? <laughs> uh, the hardest part about creating this documentary is that I think it's that analysis paralysis. Is, uh, the difficulty with any artist is, is when, or anybody who builds anything or a creative is when do you call it done? Yeah. And... You know, I've seen the film so many times. I've read Christie's book. I recorded it. And in editing dialogue, you know better than anybody that you can really understand concepts because you have to get there word for word sometimes. 
because to understand how the human language and how sometimes we speak so quickly that our words are strung together and it's difficult to edit some of the artifacts out of that. Yeah. So we're <laughs> listeners and watchers. Yeah. And I think to become a listener and watcher makes you more aware of things um, when you're not just going through the rote motions of your day. So um, I kind of got sidetracked from the question. Bring me back. Hardest part. Hardest part. But yes. is it knowing when to call it quits. Yeah, when to call it quits. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, having seen the film so many times, and I still watch for potential edits, and I know there's a couple <laughs> things we'll probably go back and change, even though we've shown it out in public three times. Um, you know, changing the, uh, oh, geez, uh, something as simple as the color, the color of, of a particular uh, clip. Yeah. You know, you can you can mess with that all day long. You can add grain, take away hairs, yeah. put on, make it more filmy looking and adjust the white balances of it. And, you know, I have a camera that shoots in raw, they call it, and that collects all the information. And it takes up a whole lot of space as far as memory, but you can adjust things that you couldn't adjust on just a single snapshot. Oh, interesting. So you can almost put different filters on it to make it look more gritty, like it's a absolutely, you know, like a action movie on the streets. Well, or yeah, if you've ever taken a picture in too much sunlight, mm -hmm. um, what happens to the skin is you get a major reflection. They call it being blown out. Mm -hmm. um, and if you can't fix that or get that right in the moment, if your lighting or white balance isn't right in the moment, you don't have things set up just perfectly. You're kind of stuck with it. Uh -huh. And when you shoot in raw. Um, you can change that. You're not stuck with it, but the trade-off is is like 10 times more memory is required. You can eat up a terabyte in a hurry. Yeah, which back in the day would have been unheard of. I know, $100,000 for a terabyte. <laughs> That's what it, we were looking at back in Best Buy days. I mean, it was insane. And, and back then we thought there's no way in a lifetime you could acquire enough data to fill up a terabyte. And now it's like, eh, it can happen. <laughs> yeah, and now we're talking about memory being stored in water and using water to hold memory. And I was just listening to a conversation on Lex Friedman. He was talking to a uh, astrophysicist about UF or about uh, black holes being able to hold memory. And Lex was so complex by that. Is it, you know, is it physical memory that can hold? What memory are you talking about? But mathematically, they're starting to prove some of these com concepts real. And really good science always, always looks like amazing magic. I mean, it really does. Uh, you know, speaking of things storing memory, there's been some really compelling research that, in my opinion, lends a lot of, of validity to reincarnation. But it's it's the uh, the phenomenon of organ transplants. Yes, man. You know, somebody receiving a heart or a kidney or, or whatever, and suddenly they quite literally take on the memories of the donor. In fact, there was a, a case of uh, tragically a little uh, ten year old girl was murdered. Uh, they gave her heart to a nine-year-old girl, and when that girl received the transplant, and she's you know living a nice, long, healthy life, but she started to have nightmares that correlated to the victim's murder. And it was so vivid that they actually had enough details. They passed along the information to authorities, and they caught the uh, the suspect. Oh, yeah. I mean, so <laughs> if, if an organ can store memories from another person, another place, another time, uh, maybe our soul... Uh, still stores memories from previous lifetimes. Obviously, we get a new body, new name, new appearance with each lifetime, but our bodies are merely like the hardware, the computer. You know, yeah. what if our soul is like the, the USB stick? It, it can transfer memory from one body to the next, from one life to the next. 
So, but water, water yeah. holds memory too. Yeah. Well, I'm so I want to talk about what you're talking about right now because I totally agree with that. And Astara and I teach about the intelligence of the heart, right? And so, it, once you get in there, the heart isn't just a muscle that pushes blood around in your body. It is actually the thing that holds the spark that creates your life. Sure. It's created in the sinoatrial node, and I won't go down this pathway, but there's some brilliant stuff. If you look into HeartMath and the HeartMath Institute, which is funded by Stanford University for their research around the intelligence of the heart, that's a whole another another wormhole to go down. But this memory that you speak of being passed on through transplants, I'm going to give you a yes and, because thinking about our soul memories from lifetime to lifetime, which I'm totally into, um, just even more recent, think about, okay, in my instance, I met all four of my grandparents. I've known all four of my grandparents, spent time with them, went to their funerals. And that's kind of rare sometimes these mm -hmm. days. Yeah. I've also met my great-grandparents on my mom's side. And I, as a youngster, I got to know them. And my grandfather, who didn't speak any English and still spoke, you know, only Czech. Yeah. And then, once you start thinking about that, I've never met my great-great-grandparents or my great-great-great-great-grandparents, or my great-great-great-great-great, and I can keep adding greats on there all the way back until you can stop listening to me say the word great. Right. And that's where we come from. And all that family trauma gets passed on year over, child over child, year over year. There's children now that are feeling the effects of their great-grandparents' experience during the Holocaust. And all that gets passed down. And right now, I'm cognitively working with my father once a week to help break that cycle, that legacy of thought that there's a boogeyman hiding behind every door and I need to be cautious and careful about everything that was passed down from his father. And I don't even know what was passed down from his dad to his dad. But if you ever want to find out more about you, ask your parents to tell you stories about their parents. And you'll see how your parents were and we'll remember along the lines that we were just watching our parents grow up. Well, and we're at a pivotal point too in, in history because yeah, you're right. I mean, it's kind of rare to know too much when it comes to grandparents, great grandparents and beyond because you go far enough back in your family tree. All, really all you've got, if you're lucky is names and birthdays, right? You didn't know what they did for a living. You didn't know what their personality was like or what their favorite food was. But we're at a point now where much of our lives are documented on podcasts, uh, <laughs> on social media, on you know television and, and you know home footage on our cell phones. So future generations will know us. In fact, I'd be uh, I'd go so far as to say that in our lifetime and certainly the lifetime of our kids, technology will advance to the point where and we're seeing it right now. Artificial intelligence is going beyond what we ever thought we'd see in our lifetime. But I think in a weird way, call me crazy, it's almost going to make us immortal. Yeah. I mean, our physical bodies will die. We will expire. That's inevitable. But I feel like AI is getting to the point where it can basically uh, collect and summarize a person's personality, their interests, their beliefs, the way they talk, their cadence, their demeanor. And I think in future generations, when we're long dead and buried, uh, our kids and grandkids will still be able to interact with us. It won't literally be us, but it, it will be our voice. It will be our personality. Uh, so in a roundabout way, it will kind of offer um, the next best thing to still having us alive. Yeah. You know, do you, do you remember the very first Harry Potter 
and they talked they showed the moving pictures and first she wrote about it right and then they showed the moving pictures yeah and that was incomprehensible at the time how cool that was because at the time i know um years later best buy had a thing where it cycled through the photos they could just bring up a photo digitally and bring up the next one and that sat in a frame mm -hmm. and that was pretty close but now we actually have those moving reels we watch them all the time it's a reel of yeah. that person moving and saying hi or whatever so everything that was dreamed up in the past is happening now and some concepts or the future and the past are all happening at the same time okay everybody this concludes part one of our interview with orion please check back here next week for part two it's guaranteed to be just as interesting riveting and entertaining and thank you so much for listening to another episode of so strange